this evening. So first session we'll do Jeremiah, and then the second shorter session will be on, on Lamentations. So uh, Jeremiah is quite an interesting character. Psychologists like to psychoanalyze Jeremiah, so quite interesting. Um, I read an article today, if I can find it, the, um, where the author claimed that, he, uh, from studying him, that he um, um, had issues of... Um, he was a depressive psycho had depressive psychosis. Okay, so so people do like to study some of the prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and psychoanalyze them. Um, as they there are certain things about their life that are revealed. Uh, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. So um, he talks about We'll see, Lord willing, one of the passages where he talks about his weeping. And um, he doesn't have a sort of a happy life. He, he uh, sees a lot of terrible things and experiences a lot of terrible things. Uh, he was a priest. So if you look in chapter 1, verse 1. says the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests. Uh, so uh, you can see he was a priest. A lot of the, the blame for Judah's apostasy was laid at the, the feet of the priests. Uh, they were blamed for the apostasy because they were the ones who were supposed to uphold God's word and the truth, along with the kings. Uh, we've seen already through Kings and Chronicles, or Kings, especially Samuel and Kings, how the uh, kings didn't, didn't uh, maintain God's truth. And the prophets were sent to rebuke them and to confront them. As we saw last week, that was the role of the prophet, to call the kings back to covenantal faithfulness. But Jeremiah was, was a priest. Um, as I mentioned last week, the... With, with Isaiah, Isaiah was a priest, who, uh, sorry, a prophet who spoke, and then people would write down what he said and put it together. And so the same happens with Jeremiah. We, it's not in chronological order. There is a, a man called Baruch, who, uh, who writes down some of the things that he says, but actually we're actually told that in Jeremiah. So he's one of the guys who hears Jeremiah's prophecies and uh, writes them down. So uh, another problem with Jeremiah or difficulty is that we have two different versions of the book of Jeremiah. Okay, so we have the, this one in, in our English Bibles is taken from what is called the MT or the Masoretic Text, which is the Hebrew scripture and then we have another version in the greek translation of the old testament anyone remember i think i've, I've told you that what this is called if you see that 
L double X. Uh, it's the Roman numeral for 70. So 50, 10, 10, so for 70. And that's called the Septuagint. That's also, it means 70. Okay. A septuagenarian is someone in their 70s. So a Septuagint was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Okay. Um, the Septuagint version is about an, an eighth shorter than the Hebrew version. Okay. Uh, and there are other variations uh, in order and things like that, and some of the verses are slightly different. In fact, quite a lot of the verses are slightly different in the Septuagint, but the New Testament authors have no problem quoting from either one of them. They don't, they don't have a problem with quoting from either one of them. Um, but there is debate, well, why is it that this one is, is shorter than the other one? Anyone know where the Septuagint was written? So it was written in Egypt uh, when Jews fled to Egypt. In fact, Jeremiah is himself taken to Egypt under duress. He's, he's forced there by the, the Jews who are running away from the Babylonians. And so we think probably one of the reasons is, and we'll get to it, is that... Um, there was the one that he was written sort of while he was in Israel, and then he wrote another another shorter version or edited version was was written in Egypt or part of it was taken to Egypt, but some was left. They both written by him. Well, they're his his uh, his words. Remember, oh, no, so he said they were the, uh, yeah, his speeches. His yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's uh, just something that's interesting, but we'll get into, uh, you'll see something quite interesting about uh, Jeremiah's prophecies, what happens to them that might well explain this. Okay, okay so um, let's just put his, when he, when he, uh, when he prophesied uh, 627 to 580. A very tumultuous time in in the the life of of Judah. Okay. So uh, we're going to spend a bit of time on a timeline, uh, just just because it's such an important period. Um, so we we're again jumping back into our historical books, trying to piece everything together. So remember Isaiah. Uh, he's, he's prophesying about 100 years before this. Um, and he had prophesied about the destruction of Judah by the Babylonians, but then that God would raise up Cyrus and deliver them. Uh, Jeremiah is living through the destruction of Jerusalem. Anyone remember the date when Jerusalem is destroyed and the temple is destroyed? 628 or something. Five eighty-six. Okay, so five eighty-six. So just slightly before the end of his his ministry. So five eighty-six BC is when the temple is destroyed. Okay. So let's let's look at that. 
that's built up to that. But that's the big date. You want to you wanna try and remember that one. You want to remember 722? That's when the northern kingdom is conquered by the Assyrians. Okay, 722 BC, and that's, that's Israel. Israel sort of ceases to exist. But Judah continues. Um, Can I ask? Sorry. Yes, I can. Uh, slightly off the timeline. But when um, Israel was being taken over, so some Jews fled back to Egypt. Yes. What were they hoping to achieve? knowing that they've been slaves there before yeah yeah so remember this is centuries later oh okay yeah so it's not like it's something that happened yesterday um it's it's a sort of pretty close to like nearly a thousand years earlier Um, sort of eight nine hundred years earlier okay so it's like the egyptians are basically the Egyptians have forgotten. Yeah. Well, uh, I suppose they'd know some history, but it wasn't like a... Um, okay, it's not that deep. Yes, and lots happens as well during the Egyptian period. There's mm, other tribes. Okay. There's the, uh, the other, another nation, Hyksos, and all sorts of things happen there. Mm. So, um, And remember, it's, it's also about uh, alliances because you... You, 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 would, you would make an alliance with another nation to, to go against a bigger nation mm, or something okay. like that. So we've, okay. we've seen that already. Um, they're told not to do it. Jeremiah says, uh, God tells, tells them, don't do this. Don't trust in Egypt. Mm, but they okay. still do it. Okay. Um, okay, so this period, what happens around 627 is quite a lot. So for one... Josiah, um, uh, so uh, 622, Josiah be, is uh, the king, okay. and Josiah starts his uh, reforms. You remember when we were doing kings, they... They had lost, the priest goes and cleans out the temple and they find the Bible. You know, they find the, the book of the law, probably Deuteronomy. And Josiah, they start reading it and Josiah starts implementing it. And so it's a time of uh, reform. Um, but it's also the time during this period when the Babylonian Empire uh, is on the rise under a king called Nabopolassar. Okay. The, which was the empire before the Babylonians? Which was the empire that conquered the northern Assyrian. king? The Assyrians. Okay, where their capital was Nineveh. And uh, the Assyrians had been the superpower. But their power starts to wane and the Babylonians declare independence from them and then begin to grow okay and jeremiah is living through this period of the development of babylon as a superpower and mm-hmm. babylon starts to flex its muscles and starts to spread as an empire okay and so uh, a lot is happening at this at this time okay so 
that's when he starts his ministry. Um, 6.12, Nineveh is defeated. Okay, so the, here the Babylonians declare independency uh, around this time, but then they actually conquer Nineveh. So they, they defeat the, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, 609, uh, Pharaoh Nico, so the Egyptian ruler, he, he uh, let's draw a map again, uh, Egypt's down here, Assyria is sort of up here and along, and then Babylon is here, and Jerusalem is about here. He goes up to try and help the Assyrians against Babylon. So they make an alliance to try and stop the Babylonians. Okay, So you can see all these nations are getting involved. As he goes through, through Israel or Judah, Josiah the king is not happy and Josiah goes to attack him and is killed in 609. He dies in the battle. Josiah is killed. Um, they, the Egyptians then basically are, are the rulers of Israel because they've conquered Josiah and they, um, they Je Josiah's son is Jehoahaz so there's lots of fun names Jehoahaz though is replaced by the pro-Egyptian Jehoiakim Jehoiakim very confusing because there's a Jehoiakim. They sound Asian. Um, so um, Jehoiakim is they put Jehoiakim in in power because he supports the Egyptians. Um, Six oh five. The Assyrians and the Egyptians are defeated by the Babylonians. So the Babylonians come in. From the north, which you'll see in Jeremiah, it's always from the north the enemies will come um, because you can't sort of just come across the desert here. They don't just, this, remember, this is the fertile crescent up here. Mm. And so they come through here and they come down from the top. And so the prophecy is that from the north an enemy will come who, will, who will, God will use to judge his people. So now the Babylonians have conquered the Assyrians, the Egyptians, and Israel becomes a vassal state that they own. Okay, That's in 605. So these, these events that I'm telling you now are, are found in Jeremiah. He talks about these things, a lot of them. Uh, 605, now the Babylonians control Ju uh, uh, Judah. And we have the first deportation. So they take some of the, the, the Jews back to Babylon. And they take the best, the nobles. Mm. So who do you, who's the most well-known person? Daniel. Daniel. Okay, That's when Daniel is taken. And his friends, so Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they go, and all the young nobles. Okay, so they take the the nobility uh, away. 
Um, okay, but the, the Jews continue to sort of cause trouble for the Babylonians. And so in 597, Jehoiakim, who was the one who was replaced, who was, who was placed there by the Egyptians, he's still the ruler, Jehoiakim, with an M at the end. He rebels against Babylon. And so they come in and just stamp their authority. And more, there's a second deportation. And Ezekiel is taken in this deportation. Okay? So, just to, to, so you, you're starting to maybe get a bit of a framework. Um, Ezekiel is his, when we get to Ezekiel, it's very weird because Ezekiel is taken by the Spirit back to Jerusalem. Okay, so he sees what is going on in Jerusalem and the temple and everything. Not, not being there physically, but God reveals it to him and shows it to him spiritually. Okay, but so just so you, again, hopefully piecing it all together. Uh, Ezekiel was around in the same time as Daniel was. Yes. Yeah. So they were both contemporaries. The same situation. Probably, yeah. Uh, probably in Babylon together. Um, okay. Um, okay, then uh, they replaced Jehoiakim with Jehoiakin. Uh, but he's exiled. So they take Jehoiakim back to Babylon as well. And they put Zedekiah in place. Who's they? The Babylonians, because they, they're in control. Zedekiah rebels against Babylon. And in 586, um, they, they destroy. They basically say, look, this is, we've had enough of this rebellion. We're going to wipe the place out. They destroy the temple and they flatten Jerusalem. Mm. And they basically take everyone and kill loads of people. They leave just a, you know, a few people. That's why I remember in the, in, in the historical writings, uh, we saw Ezra and Nehemiah. They come back. It's pathetic. It's, mm. There's enemies that they have to rebuild the walls. There's, other, other, there's foreigners living there. Um, so it's, they're really... Properly, um, these these um, it is quite something because when you when you when you think of it, you know our our uh, at least in the West and if you've grown up Christian, we know then the Israel and the people of God and David and that, but in the larger scheme of things, they're nothing in terms of geopolitics and the world empires. Mm. They're, they're this, remember in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7, we saw that God says, I chose you, not because you were the greatest, because mm. you were the smallest, the weakest. So it's, you know, it's, you need to, it's sort of like, I don't know, Madagascar getting upset and America's like, stop pushing us, stop pushing us, stop. <laughs> and then they're like, just, okay, we've had enough and they flatten them. You know, it's, mm. that's what Babylon does. They're, they're the superpower. Israel's never a superpower. They, they become strong and they have peace, but they were never intended to be an empire. They were not supposed to go and invade other countries. Mm. They were supposed to have that land that God gave them and deal with the enemies there, and that's that. Um, these other nations are empires, and when we get to Daniel, we'll see these, these, these superpowers through history. 
Alexander the Great, the Roman Empire. Okay, we'll see that. These are superpowers, but even that, God is in complete control. And God is in control of the Babylonians. But here they come and they are, uh, they are destroyed. Um, okay, any questions or comments on that? Just to give you a bit of a, a framework. Don't worry too much about, about everything, but try and get the, the, these bigger dates, 586. It's very important. Because that's a, that's, you see the Babylon is like another enslavement in Egypt. They're now slaves in Babylon. They're now exiles in Babylon. And there needs to be another deliverance. And as we saw in, in Isaiah, God delivers them, but the problem is the heart. How is God going to get the world out of the heart of his people? He can take them out of Egypt. He can take them out of Babylon. But how is he going to get Egypt and Babylon out of their hearts? How is he going to get... How's he going to change their hearts? He needs, there needs to be another deliverance, another exodus. And Jesus is another Moses who comes and, and fulfills that. Okay. So let's look at this man, Jeremiah. Very interesting man. Uh, he is... Um, he is called. The word of the Lord comes to him. Chapter 1, verse 4. And the Lord says to him in verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nation. So again, we see throughout Scripture the God's sovereignty in choosing, uh, setting his love upon certain people before they're born. Um, he is sovereign. He says to Jeremiah, I chose you. I, I, uh, before you were born, I set my love upon you. Look at how he responds over verse 6. Then I said... Our Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. So I think I told you last week, Jeremiah is young, probably what we would call a teenager. Okay. So he is called to, or, you know, at most sort of in his early 20s sort of thing. But he's young. And the Lord says, I have called you. Notice again, he says, I don't know how to speak. That's from, we, we're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Moses said the same thing. I don't know how to speak. The Lord says to him, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. Literally, do not be afraid of their faces. Okay. So, uh, Jeremiah has a tough time. People hate him. There are false accusations against him. Uh, He's thrown into into pits. He's... um, yeah, it's, he's not, um, there's not people saying, amen, brother, preach it, or <laughs> anything like that. Um, the Lord says, but I'm with you. Uh, verse 9, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. So judgment and restoration. And how is Jeremiah going to fulfill this? Is it through raising up an army? Is it through starting a construction firm? It's through words. Okay. It's through what he says will bring about the judgment and destruction of nations and the breaking down and the restoration. So this is very important to remember as Christians. 
it's 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 good and right to be involved in politics and social things and reforms. It's it's good and right. You know, we all have different spheres of influence. Uh, wherever we are, we should seek to bring justice and care for those under us and deal with integrity. But we must never forget the way that God changes lives and people and nations is through his word. Okay. Uh, Jesus never started a you know, social reform movement. He didn't start anything like that. He just went about preaching. The disciples, the apostles did exactly the same. They just went about preaching the word of God and teaching the word of God. And so don't get sidetracked. Okay, I'm not saying those things are not wrong. But the primary way God works is through his word. Okay, The faithful preaching and teaching of his word. You don't find anywhere that the apostles will tell, you know, say, this is what we have to do, guys. We've got to get a social reform. We've got to vote the right person into power. Mm. You know, that's our only hope. It's, it's preach the word, share the gospel, and then live God's word out. Okay. So here, I mean, these are remarkable things. He's saying to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I'm going to use you to raise up kingdoms and to destroy kingdoms, to judge and to restore. And Jeremiah is just a young man. He's going to speak. Okay, so uh, never never underestimate the power of God's word. Okay, to to um, it's the foolishness of preaching that God has chosen to save people. Okay, um, so as you if you were to read through Jeremiah, we don't have time, <coughs> and uh, there's a lot of repetition. So. If you if you were to um, if you were to listen to an itinerant preacher, as an example, even if you were to listen to Jesus, you can see in the Gospels in different places he's saying the same thing. So we have the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew six, and then we also have the Sermon on the Plain in Luke Luke six, I think. Sermon on the Mount in Matthew five. Very similar, but different sermons, but a lot of the same content because Jesus would go to to, to different people. And repeat the same thing. So it's the same with, with these prophets. A lot of what they say is repetitive. Basically, you could sum it up as God is judging you because you've been evil. Okay? But it's in much more powerful and dramatic language. So um, God is the one speaking to Israel and he uses these analogies. God is really highlighting their, their, their uh, sin. So he uses a lot of analogies, especially uh, family analogies. He says, I'm a father to you. I've cared for you. I've looked after you. When you were uh, naked, I cared for you. When you were, you know, I, I provided for you. I gave you every good thing. I, and yet you've turned against me. He talks about being a husband and how she's gone astray and uh, very, very strong language that he uses to describe Israel because of their sin. He talks about their violence that they've committed. Um, but really the main themes is their sexual immorality, their violence, and their lives. Those are their, their main sins. Their violence in terms of oppression. They oppress, oppress the weak. They don't care for the poor and the vulnerable. Um, uh, and he uh, and he says he, he 
the Lord likens them to animals, likens them to um, animals on heat, uh, saying, you know, that like an animal on heat, you, you know, you don't even, you don't even, a guy doesn't even have to try and win you. You just give yourself. You're like a, like an animal. Okay. Um, he says, yeah, just to give you an example. The reason it's important is because that's what our sin is. It's so horrific and we need to see it in that light. Um, these themes are recurring. Um, Verse 20 of chapter 2, For long ago I broke your yoke and burst your bonds, but you said I will not serve. Yes, on every high hill and under every green tree you bowed down like a whore. Okay, so you see the, the imagery there. Mm-hmm. Um, chapter 3, verse 2, verse 1, You have played the whore with many lovers, and would you return to me, declares the Lord? Lift up your eyes to the bare heights and see, where have you not been ravished? By the waysides you have sat awaiting lovers like an Arab in the wilderness. You have polluted the land with your vile whoredom. Therefore the showers have been withheld and the spring rain has not come. Yet you have the forehead of a whore. You refuse to be ashamed. Have you not just now called to me, my father, you are the friend of my youth? Will he be angry forever? Will he be indignant to the end? Behold, you have spoken but you have done all the evil that you could. So very, very strong language, um, the way Israel has behaved. After everything the Lord had done for them, all the love, all the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, uh, this is how they've treated him. Um, uh, and that's, as you read through Jeremiah, the, those are the themes that will come up over and over and over again, highlighting their, their sin. Um, And yet, interspersed all the way through is God's call for them to return, to come back, that he will have mercy upon them. And what we find is that as we, the breakdown of the book of Jeremiah is um, really chapters 1 through 25, and then 26 through 45, um, and then 46 51 and then chapter 52 at the end uh, these two two sections have are sort of the same idea there's a movement from the possibility of repentance to the inevitability of judgment Okay, so God is Starting off by saying, come, repent, turn, and I'll, I will relent. But then eventually it's, it's too late now. Okay. Judgment is coming because of, of their lack of repentance. And in between, in this, in this first section, there is chapter 7, and in the second section, chapter 26. These are what are known as the temple sermons. Temple sermons, very important. They're sort of the, the, the center points. Uh, and we'll come back to them. 46 through 51 are the oracles to the nations. Remember we saw that in Isaiah, where there's the section on judgment to the nations. Okay, And then chapter 52 is just sort of a postscript, like a reminder, and then a warning, and then a little bit of hope at the end as well. 
Okay, so um, that's sort of the breakdown. So what's our time like? Okay, so uh, as you go through it, uh, you will see the, 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 as I said, this repetition of, of judgment and why God is judging them because of their behavior. There's a, this very powerful phrase, chapter 2, verse 5, thus says the Lord, um, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? That's what idolatry is. That's what leaving the Lord is. It's going after worthlessness and becoming worthless. Okay, Psalm 115 says we become like what we worship. Mm-hmm. So if you worship false idols and what is worthless, you become worthless. You become vain, a waste of time, a waste of space, like the idols. Okay, That's what Israel has been, or Judah has become. Okay, chapter 4, though, begins, If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord. So there's hope. But there's this movement to, well, eventually there's not going to be any hope. The other thing is that there are false false prophets within Israel or within Judah. Okay? So often there's false guys outside. You've got to watch out for the false uh, religions outside. Israel is warned about that. But now we're finding that there are prophets coming in the name of Jehovah, bringing false prophecies. And what you find is that they always say nice things. Okay? Mm. They'll say, don't worry, this, this is soon going to be over. It's all going to be great. Don't worry, you know, we're the head and not the tail, all of these kind of things. And uh, Paul warns us about that in Thessalonians. He says people who have itching ears and follow people that tell them what they want to hear, that will scratch their ears. Pretty so, much have that these days too. Well, that's what Paul is saying. In the last days, people will have. So in this period, so human nature doesn't change, but we need to watch out for that. Don't just um, listen to people who tell you what you want to hear. Listen to those that proclaim God's word. Okay, And sometimes it's... It's not pleasant, it's convicting, and it's, it's challenging, but it's better than being lied to. Okay, So chapter 7, then, is a temple sermon where um, he, he says to them, look at verse 4, Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We don't have time to go through all of it. What, he's, what, what was happening is the Jews were saying, Nothing will ever happen to us because this is the temple of the Lord. There's no ways that God would ever allow another nation to conquer us because this is his temple. See that? So they're, they're, they're living at ease. They're not concerned about holiness because they're saying God would never allow his temple to be destroyed. Okay? They're basically tempting, uh, what do they say? Do not tempt the Lord your God or something? Yeah, yeah. That's what the Lord said to Satan. Jumping off a cliff and saying, Lord, save me. Yeah. That's what they were, they were, they had a false sense of security. Mm. And, I, and Jeremiah is saying to them, don't say that. Okay. Uh, and when we get to Ezekiel, we'll see that God's presence leaves the temple. They thought that could never happen, that God would leave his temple. But he does do that. And so Jeremiah is warning them. And so uh, the first. The problem is they've begun to idolize the temple. 
Now, Jeremiah is quite fascinating because in uh, Matthew, uh, let me just get the passage, Matthew 16, uh, verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Jesus says, who do, who do people say I am? Do you remember what they said? Some said John the Baptist, some said Elijah, and others said Jeremiah. Interesting, hey? When they looked at Jesus, they were reminded of the prophet Jeremiah. Now, what did we say about Jeremiah? Well, he was known as the weeping, weeping prophet. Mm. Jesus is also called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Okay. So when they looked at Jesus and his speech and his behavior, people thought... He looks, I mean, they didn't know Jeremiah, that's hundreds of years earlier, but as they read, read Jeremiah, they're like, this, this man reminds us of Jeremiah. Maybe he's Jeremiah come back again. Mm. Okay. So uh, Jeremiah has these two temple messages where he says, don't put your confidence in the temple. When Jesus comes to, to Israel, to his people, they are in the same place. They idolize the temple. Remember, even his disciples said, look at this temple. And Jesus says, not one stone will be left upon another. Okay? They idolize it. Why was Jesus killed? Because he said that. Hey, He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. They said, that's blasphemy. He's talking badly about the temple. Mm-hmm. Acts, uh, sure. Acts uh, it 7, about Stephen. Stephen is also stoned to death because he criticizes the temple. He says... God doesn't live in a building as though he needs anything. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. So they, they had begun to, buy, to not worship God, but to worship the temple, the building, the system. And it was the same when Jesus came. And Jesus also has two temple um, episodes. And if you, you know when he goes into the temple and cleanses the temple, did you know that there's two of those? Okay. There's one at the beginning. Be- the- yeah, where he overthrows the money tables. So John's gospel, it's John chapter 2. It's at the beginning of his ministry mm. where he goes in. It's a warning. The other gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the synoptic gospels, they're all at the end, just before he's crucified. In fact, it's one of the reasons why they crucify him. So you're saying he did he cleansed the temple t- twice. Cleansed two different temples. No, the same temple same twice. Temple twice, okay. One at the beginning of his ministry and then one three and a half years later. Oh, oh I see. It had gone back to uh-huh. its old way. So it's not the same story. There's two stories. Oh. John John is John chapter two. It's right at the beginning and it says, you know, at the beginning of his ministry. Huh. Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, let me tell you when they Matthew is Matthew chapter 21, Mark is Luke 11, Luke 9, uh, sorry, Mark is chapter 11, Luke is chapter 19. Those three are the first one? No, those are the end. You can see by the chapter number, it's at the end, whereas John is at the beginning, John chapter 2. Oh, okay. So John is talking about his, remember John always looks at things that the other Gospels don't. Mm. So just as Jeremiah has two situations, two warnings to Israel. What did you, you know what I mean when I say Israel, okay? Mm, the people yeah. of God. 
cool right. question. Sorry, yes. Pause, Mike. Is that a consistent view? Um, you know, to help throughout Christianity because we've never. Well, that, that's the first time I'm hearing that about the two different mm. uh, temples and whatnot. So, one temple. Uh, what I mean, sorry, the one temple, two different uh, events. Yeah, no, it's okay. it's pretty orthodox. Yeah. Okay. Um. um I've said it before. <laughs> you see, that's the problem. That's the problem. Again, like it's the first time I'm also hearing like why don't like churches yes. talk about such things? Well, a, a lot of uh, it. I mean, it depends on whether whether the pastor studies, because mm. because. Not a lot of people do the work of uh, synchronize or or trying to harmonize the gospels. What's mm-hmm. going on? Okay. So, um, yeah. when you, you 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 put certain things together, um, so sure. okay. Uh, in fact, the first cleansing is not as hardcore as the second one. He doesn't say the same words. He's not mm-hmm. as vehement, but it's still a cleansing. Mm. But the second one is is stronger because they still don't take the, the warning. Okay. So So the first one he lashed he lashed the whip, he he flicked the whip and uh, of cords and drove them out of the temple, he did them with the, the so the, the second one's where he throws over tables and stuff yeah. like that. So the first one's actually the one the whip. I think this, there's, there's a whip no, in the set. No, in John chapter yeah. 2, it doesn't talk about the whip. It says that he threw out the money and um, he overturned the tables. So uh, the John first one is... John I'm on uh, 15, uh, verse 15. Yes, but there's not... So he made a whip twice, in other words. Yes, but let's not get sidetracked. So... <laughs> 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 yeah, it's not my hearing. Okay, so um, look at... Um, Verse 11 of this, this chapter 7. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? You know, he also says that when he... Is that Jeremiah? Yeah. That's in Jeremiah. Verse 11. Okay. Um, okay, chapter 9, verse 1, we can see, oh, that... That he's a weeping prophet. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Um, so you can see he he um, he's, he's crying out to just to cry out to the Lord to 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 lament. Um, uh, Jeremiah is called to do some sort of strange things, what we call symbolic acts or sign acts. So. Uh, again, we don't have the time to go into all of them, but he does things like where he goes, he goes down to the potter's house and he takes a vessel and then he has to break it in front of the people to say, this is what God is going to do to you. He's going to smash you. He has to take his loincloth and go and bury it. And then later on, go and fetch it and it's falling apart. And the Lord says, that's what I'm going to do to you, Israel. I'm going to, you're going to fall apart and rot. Um, so he does these symbolic actions. Okay. So it's really, it's drama. Mm. He he does these acts. Um, But he feels it deeply. You mustn't get the idea that the prophets were sort of over here and God, you know, Israel and Judah were down here and they Mm. felt nothing for them. 
These were their people. That's why they weep. They're saying these things with tears. That's, Jesus himself is like that. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a chick gathers her hens, but you would not. Okay. So don't get the idea that these are hard men who... who there, are, there are preachers who actually just like smashing people. They don't love people. They just enjoy shouting and they like the power and that. The prophets are not like that. God gives them a message. They don't want to do it. Okay. This is, this is their even family members. This is their friends. This is their people that they've grown up with. This is their, their nation. And so it's, they're weeping over it. In fact... Now they saw those visions. They saw it was coming. For, for like, a, like it was a proper visual. And he lived through it. So he didn't just see it. He actually lives through the conquest of the Babylonians. He lives through... God sends a drought as well because of them. And so people are starving to death because there's no water. Um, so God judges them through, through that. So just, again, don't get the idea that... Yeah, here it is, chapter 20, verse 15, very similar to Job. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. Let that man be like the cities that the Lord overthrew without pity. Verse 17, because he did not kill me in the womb, so my mother would have been my grave and her womb forever great. Why did I come out from the womb to see toil and sorrow and spend my days in shame? Jeremiah does, uh, Job does the same thing. He says, cursed be the day that I was born. Okay. So you can see why psychologists like to sort of mm. analyze. But um, you can see the, he's heartbroken that he has to live through this period. Okay. So much sorrow. Yeah, no, it's very powerful. My mother's womb is my grave. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter 23 um, is a warning to the false shepherds and the promise of a good shepherd. And Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. So it's fulfilled in Christ. Again, we don't have time to go into that. Chapter 25. Oh, chapter 24 is the, the, the basket of good figs. Now, um, and bad figs. <laughs> so the funny thing is that, remember, who got taken in the first exile, the first deportation? So the, the, um, and Ezekiel in the second, okay. the ones left behind are saying, yeah, God has judged all those bad people. Okay. So they're saying we're the good figs and they're the bad figs. And Jeremiah is saying, no, you guys are the bad figs. God has taken away the good figs. Okay. Hmm. So the best were taken. The godliest were taken. The first deportation was the good. And the second. Ezekiel goes in the second. Oh, okay. So, you know, see, they were thinking, you see, we are not judged. We are not taken into exile. We must be right with God. And he's saying, no, this is a vision from God. You are the basket of bad figs. The good figs have been taken. Okay. They're the ones that got wiped out completely when they destroyed the temple, right? Yes. The bad figs. I, yeah. I feel like that's alluding to something, though, like more like New Testament. Um, well, figs are often a picture of Israel. Mm -hmm. as a, as a, so, um, it, it's, it's, 
it's a representative of the ne- of God's sure. people. And because he cursed the one fig tree, because there wasn't fruit or something. That's right. He cursed the one fig tree, and then he says to Nathaniel, "I saw you under the fig tree. under the fig tree." Okay, so um, this this discussion about that, but just 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 so you see again, you can understand the logic though. Oh, those bad guys got taken. We must be mm-hmm. right with God. Meanwhile. Jeremiah is to set them straight. No, you, you guys are the wicked ones. You need to repent. Chapter 25, we have the reference to 70 years of captivity. That's going to be expanded later on. I think uh, Daniel understands that. But we'll, we'll get to that when we look at Daniel. Okay, um, let's race through here. Um, the, chapter 26 is the second temple, and they threaten him with death because of what he said very similar to Stephen and, of course, to the Lord Jesus. Um, the, they're very upset with his, his prophecy of destruction. Okay, they want to kill him. Um, chapter 29, very important. The, Jeremiah writes a letter to the exiles, so the, the people that are already in Babylon. And it's from the Lord. And verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. It carries on like that. Now, this is, this is an important passage because it gives us an example of God's people outside of their home. Okay? Which is really where we are. This is not our home. Uh, we, are, we belong to the Lord. We are citizens of the heavenly kingdom. We will have the new heaven and new earth. So how are we to live in the world? Are we to like separate and go and live, you know, in a mountain somewhere? Which is, the church has done that. Are we supposed to form our own little Christian ghetto? But you'll see what the Lord says here. Seek the welfare of the city. So, and just say, test me for myself. The church I grew up in, people always hated Johannesburg. That's how they spoke. Like, can't wait till I retire, I'm going to the coast and... So I grew up with that, like, yeah, Joburg's rubbish, everything like that. Mm-hmm. But when, when we planted the church and um, there was a teaching on this from Tim Keller, and it really, and he said this, he said, you know, you can't, how can you expect to reach people when you hate the city? You can't show them the love of Christ. Like, you can't, if, you, if you're like, oh, I can't wait till I leave this place. When you, you should now, we're not saying there isn't tremendous evil and things wrong. That's not what we're talking about. It's not pretending, oh, there's no problems. No, that's not what it's about. But actually start to, to love the place and say, I'm going to seek its welfare. How, how can I, I'm going to invest here, I'm going to build here, I'm going to, um, and, and then when you tell people the love of Christ and they can see it, well, I can see you love, you're not just waiting to retire and duck. You're invested. You're invested, yes. So, this is a very, very important, uh, Jeremiah 29, because it's t- showing God's people how do they live when they're in exile. And that's where we are at the moment in the world. All Christians everywhere 
Um, so, so, so remember that as you, um, yeah. Okay, lots to say on that, but let's, let's jump ahead. Um, chapters 30, uh, 30 through 33 are known as the Book of Consolation, that God will, will restore them, and there is the promise in chapter 31 of the New Covenant. Okay, so here's the promise, chapter 31, verse 31. All the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, not like the other covenant. And so here we have the first sort of promise of a new covenant. And it's going to be um, individual. Each person will know the Lord. Um, each person will be responsible for their own sin. Um, the, the, we'll have the spirit living within us in a special way, more immediate, more intense, more personal. And so that's, of course, is fulfilled in Christ. Remember, that's what the Lord Jesus does at the, the, last, the last supper. This is the blood of the new covenant. Okay? Um, so that's the, the promise of the coming of, of Christ. Okay. Um, chapter 36 Jehoiakim burns Jeremiah's scroll. Okay, so that's this. This is quite interesting. Jehoiakim is the king placed there by the Egyptians. Remember that? And uh, Jeremiah is not allowed to come and see him. Jeremiah speaks and he says, Baruch, you write down what I say. So Baruch writes down everything he says. Um, and then someone else went, goes and reads it to the king. And if you look at verse 22, of chapter 36, it was the ninth month and the king was sitting in the winter house and there was a fire burning in the fire pot before him. As Jehudi read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire in the fire pot until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire. And then it says, and no one was even afraid. Okay. So he takes what Baruch wrote and throws it in the fire. So this might be one of the reasons why there's a different lens because um, you know, part of it was destroyed. Uh, so, yeah, it's an idea. But it is remarkable, the absolute disregard for God's word that the king has. He sits there and just snips off pieces and throws it in the fire. Okay. Was this the um, era of Jezebel? Wasn't it there? No. No, Jezebel and Ahab Jezebel were the northern kingdom. Person. Yeah, that was the northern kingdom. Okay. And, um, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so, my question from online was, Jeremiah, type of Christ... Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, as a weeping prophet, um, and these temple, especially these two temple sermons, are very reminiscent of Christ. And um, as we saw in Matthew, what is it, Matthew sixteen? Matthew sixteen, when they actually people are they are reminded of Jeremiah when they look at Jesus. Um, and remember, Jesus is the ultimate prophet. Okay, so it talks then a lot about the different events that happen that we've spoken about in the timeline. 46 through 51 is judgment against the nations. So you can go through that, all the, all the Babylonians, the Moabites, etc. Chapter 52 then, the fall of Jerusalem is recounted. And it's a, just a reminder of, okay, this is what happened. But right at the end, the last paragraph says Jehoiachin released from prison. Remember Jehoiachin came into power and then was exiled and um, Zedekiah took his place. And in this last paragraph, we have a little bit of hope because Jehoiachin is released from prison and is able to um, 
uh, is brought out of prison. Evil Merodach, the king of Babylon, has him sit at his table and he is fed and he's given an allowance. It's a glimmer of hope because Jehoiachin is a descendant of David. Remember, the whole thing is a Davidic line. Then if the Davidic line is wiped out, God's promises fall flat. So here Jehoiachin is, he's not restored, he's not made a king, but he's out of prison and he's looked after. Okay, mm-hmm. So there's, a, there's some hope right at the end that God has not forgotten his people. Okay, let's, let's take a break there.